0: Just imagine getting all the way to the top of the wrestling industry, you're ready to become a superstar, earning big bucks, and then the boss tells you to go get changed into a turkey outfit, or even worse, to start acting like a rooster. Many wrestlers overcome being given a terrible gimmick and go on to great things in the wrestling business. But some find that there's no coming back from that one bad character. In this video, we're taking a look at 10 of those poor, unfortunate superstars. The WWF loved ridiculous, over-the-top gimmicks back in 1995, and Fantasio was no different. Fantasio was an illusionist who performed various tricks during his matches and that was inspired by the man behind the gimmick, Harry Del Rios, and the fact that he was a real-life amateur magician. Del Rios was the WWF's first ever developmental wrestler and he worked in Memphis under the name The Spellbinder, which is actually a better name than what he ended up with. Fantasio debuted on WWF TV in June 1995 and lasted for just one match, despite being pretty good in the ring. So why did Fantasio do a vanishing act so soon after debuting? Well, the story goes that Mark Calloway wasn't too pleased with the gimmick, as he felt that it mirrored The Undertaker too closely, which was a bit of an odd complaint considering the two gimmicks are nothing like each other. But nonetheless, the show came to a premature end for Fantasio, and it was the end of the line for Harry Del Rios too, as he never reappeared on the WWF roster. Perry Saturn had an incredible career during the late 90s and early 2000s, as he was one of those lucky wrestlers who appeared for ECW WCW and the WWF during that time period. In the land of the extreme, he was one half of the Eliminators, one of the most impressive tag teams in ECW history. And then in WCW, he was terrifying as part of Raven's flock and then as some sort of BDSM nightmare. You'll remember him rubbing shoulders with the likes of Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko as part of the Radicals in the year 2000, where they debuted in the WWF as a gang of disgruntled defectors from WCW. But Saturn's character took a turn for the ridiculous after an incident in 2001. Saturn legitimately attacked his opponent Mike Bell during a match on Jacked, Bell had accidentally dropped Saturn on his head during the match, causing Saturn to batter him with stiff punches. Saturn then dumped Bell on his head for good measure. No bad deed goes unpunished, as they say. And unfortunately for Saturn, the officials in the back were taking notice of his actions. And so as a punishment, they wrote a storyline where Saturn received a concussion after taking a DDT from Raven, causing him to go mad. He started siding with his opponents during tag matches and talking gibberish and eventually he even fell in love with a mop. The WWF pushed this angle for weeks, really making sure that it was all Saturn would ever be remembered for. Of course, many of us look back on the Perry and Moppy relationship with fondness, just like we remember Elizabeth and the Macho Man, but in actual fact, it killed Saturn's wrestling career dead when it comes to bad wrestling gimmicks, the Shockmaster is usually in the conversation. The Shockmaster would already have been wrestle crap of the highest order. It was a fat man wearing a glittery stormtrooper helmet, but then Fred Ottman managed to make it a hundred times worse by accidentally falling through a wall during his debut. Ottman was no stranger to crap gimmicks. He was better known as Tugboat and then Typhoon back in the WWF, but this is what he would be forever remembered for. Ottman had just arrived in WCW and was debuting as the Shockmaster as a tag team partner for Sting. By the time Ottman left the company in 1994, the character had evolved into the Super Shockmaster, but it was no use. The gimmick was deader than a stormtrooper in the forests of Endor. And Ockman's career didn't do much better either. After a brief return to the WWF, that was the end of his mainstream wrestling career. For a couple of years, Mike Orson was the man in ECW. He dominated the main event scene in 1999 and early 2000, where he was a very believable world heavyweight champion and earned the nickname of the Gladiator awesome left ecw fans in awe as he took huge risks in matches against the likes of japanese nutter masato tanaka and we all assumed that the future of wrestling was going to be awesome and really really dangerous when ecw started to go down the tubes he jumped to wcw where vince russo had taken over writing the storylines Yes, Mike Awesome joined WCW at exactly the wrong time in its history. Russo was tanking the product with his wacky ideas, and Awesome ended up being one of his biggest victims. He was lumbered with a terrible fat chick thriller gimmick that turned him into a chubby chaser. And it became very difficult to take the former gladiator seriously in the ring when he had a couple of middle-aged chicks sat at ringside with their overflowing personalities. Then Awesome received some good news and some bad news. The good news was that they were scrapping the gimmick. The bad news was they were replacing that gimmick with something even worse. That 70s guy, Orson would never really recover from this period of his career. When he went to the WWF a couple of years later, they basically treated him as a jobber, which in a way is even worse than being the fat chick thriller. Matt Bloom was really well known by WWE fans as Prince Albert during the Attitude Era, where he tag teamed with Test alongside their manager Trish Stratus. Then he was repackaged as the A-Train as WWE entered its ruthless aggression period where he memorably teamed up with The Big Show to lose to The Undertaker at WrestleMania 19. And even if you weren't a fan of his work, you couldn't forget him because he was one unique looking cat. I mean, who can forget that bald head and that hairy back? He went off to Japan in 2005, where he forged a career in New Japan Pro Wrestling under the name Giant Bernard. As a foreign heel, he was really successful, and he became a massive star over there. So, when he came back to WWE about 10 years later, they repackaged him once again, this time as Lord Tensai. WWE seemed really invested in getting Tensai over as a major heel on the roster as they played vignettes for weeks before his debut and then when he did debut they put him on a big winning streak. The idea behind the gimmick was that Tensai was an American who had spent years in the Japanese dojo learning how to become a warrior. The problem was, they didn't put him under a mask, so the fans immediately recognised him as being the former Prince Albert. Cue to the crowd chanting Albert at him every week and giving him the silent treatments in between. Oh, and they sometimes still chanted shave your back at him, even though he'd shaved his back, oddly enough. Sadly for Matt Bloom, it didn't matter how famous he was in Japan the American fans were not buying A-Train as a main event heel under any circumstances. After a few months, WWE turned him into a comedy character and then he retired altogether. Tensai would be Bloom's last bite of the cherry as an on-screen character in WWE. You might associate the name Guerrero with the likes of Eddie and Chavo, cousins who have gone down in history as some of the best and most loved wrestlers to have ever stepped foot in a wrestling ring, but spare a thought for Eddie's brother Hector, who drew the short straw back in the early 90s. Hector Guerrero was considered a really talented, charismatic superstar in Mexico, just like the other members of his family, but it really was a case of wrong place, wrong time when he joined the WWF. He was no stranger to awful gimmicks, though. He was known as Lasertron in the NWA, for example, but nobody could have prepared him for what would happen at the Survivor Series in 1990. A giant egg had started appearing on WWF TV in the lead-up to the Thanksgiving show, and nobody seemed to know why it was there. Vince McMahon was practically crapping his pants with excitement to find out what was going on, But the fans were disinterested at best. During the Survivor Series, the egg hatched and a giant turkey popped out. This might have been Hector Guerrero's worst ever Thanksgiving. The gobbledygooker, as the turkey came to be known, made a couple of other appearances and then disappeared. Nobody likes three-week-old turkey after all. And for poor Hector, he would never get another chance in the WWF. For Mike Shaw, the gimmick of Bastian Booger was a punishment from Vince McMahon that would effectively end his career. He was no stranger to playing outlandish characters. He'd been known as Norman the Lunatic in WCW, where he wrestled for two years as a former mental asylum patient. But when Shaw joined the WWF in 1993, it was as Friar Ferguson, a mad monk, but they were forced to drop that gimmick when they had complaints from the Catholic Church of New York and so finally he was given the gimmick of Bastian Booger, allegedly as a punishment for his weight. Booger was meant to be a repulsive slob wearing a grotty old grey singlet to the ring. The fact that he lost his debut match to Virgil says it all about the WWF's attitude towards him Booger lasted just over a year on the roster before leaving the company and he would never appear for a major wrestling promotion ever again. WWE's tough enough reality TV show has produced a few memorable superstars during its convoluted history. The Miz, John Morrison, Ryback and Matt Morgan were all relatively successful after appearing on one version of the show or another and then there's this man Marty Wright was amongst the eight finalists chosen to appear on the fourth season of the show, and he did survive the first wave of eliminations. But then it was revealed that Wright had lied about his age. He was actually 40 years old, while the cut off age for the competition was 35. Clearly, Wright was so desperate to become a WWE superstar. He would even go as far as lying to get on Tough Enough. No wonder then that he accepted the role of playing the boogeyman back in 2005. The gimmick saw Wright having to literally eat worms at the end of every match. He also had to laugh maniacally and smash a clock off his head. Despite being on the roster for several years, the whole gimmick was totally lame and a bit disgusting too. Wright must have thought that the Boogeyman would only be a temporary gimmick before moving on to more serious things, but the role of comedy, worm-eating freak would be the only one he would ever have in WWE. Terry Taylor was building a successful career for himself before he joined the WWF. He'd found success in various regional promotions, including the NWA and Mid-Atlantic, and the future looked bright for young Terry. He had charisma, he was pretty good in the ring, and people thought that Vince McMahon was going to turn him into a real superstar. Well, he ended up going down in WWE history, that's a fact, but for all the wrong reasons. The Red Rooster involved Taylor sporting a red streak in his spiked hair and mimicking the movements and sounds of a rooster. A red rooster, to be precise. It was possibly the worst gimmick in the history of professional wrestling, and it was just so embarrassing to watch. Allegedly, Taylor was given the gimmick as a punishment for being a tattletale backstage. Rumor says that he had a big mouth, especially around the management, and so the management decided to make him pay with his career. He ended up portraying the gimmick for a couple of years, and then he escaped from his WWF contract at the first opportunity, but he could never escape the stigma of being the Red Rooster. When the WWF bought WCW in 2001, there were many victims and DDP was one of the biggest. By the time WCW folded, he was a two-time US champion, a four-time tag team champion and a three-time world heavyweight champion. He was one of the company's few homegrown superstars and he was wildly popular from about 1996 onwards. DDP's character in WCW was basically an extension of himself. Loud, brash and high energy. The man oozed charisma and he was pretty good between the ropes too. He signed with the WWF in 2001 and nobody expected him to debut in the way that he did. In May 2001, The Undertaker was in a bit of bother. Someone was stalking his missus, recording her via his camcorder. It was a lame storyline from the moment it started, and everyone was very sad to see DDP revealed as the stalker. When he tore the mask off, he actually got a really great pop from the crowd, but the fans' enthusiasm for him would quickly disappear. The stalker gimmick was totally against type for DDP, but he still tried his hardest to make it work. Although it didn't really matter who would have ended up playing the role of the stalker because the storyline was lazy trash that didn't make any sense. After his feud with The Undertaker came to an end, DDP was demoted to the lower mid card for the rest of his WWF career. He was released from the company in 2002 and despite a couple of appearances for TNA, This effectively was the end of his mainstream wrestling career. What a waste of a great talent.